celebrating, celebrating the birthday of Emily Dickinson. Happy birthday, Emily. I'm here with Julie Butters, and we're going to talk a little bit about Emily Dickinson, and then Julie's going to read us some of her poetry. Emily Dickinson was born on December 10th, 1830, a very long time ago. And according to Poetry Foundation, Emily Dickinson is one of America's greatest and most original poets of all time. Did you hear that? It says of all time. And why would they say something like that about Emily Dickinson? Well, one of the things they say about her is that she uses bold original verse. And what does that mean? It means she did not follow the rules. She did not follow the rules of poetry of our time, but she also did not follow the rules of the poetry written during her time. She often used unusual rhyming schemes, little or no punctuation, and she used capitalized words in unusual places in a sentence. They also state that her poetry stands out for its epigrammatic compression. Ooh, that sounds nice. And what does that mean? It means she wrote concise, witty, clever, very short, sometimes very, very short poems. They also claim her personal voice was haunting. She had a deep impact on the listener. Her images or words remain in your thoughts because oftentimes they are not only beautiful, but they are melancholy, a bit sad. They also emphasize her enigmatic brilliance. Enigmatic meaning mysterious, puzzling, obscure, and often her themes were dark. About her, well, she was a bit of a recluse. She'd never left Amherst. A lot of her friendships were through letters. She wasn't a big traveler. And in her hometown, she was mostly known as a gardener. She had massive flower gardens, and she would often send her friends a bouquet of flowers along with one of her poems as a gift. And during her lifetime, only 10 of her poems were published. She wrote nearly 1,800. And it wasn't until after her death in 1886, her younger sister, Lavinia, she discovered this cachet of poems that Emily had hidden. And it was she who began publishing them. The first volume of her poetry was published in 1890, just four years after her death, and it was very, very successful. It went through 11 editions in less than two years. It had to be reprinted and reprinted 11 times. How good is that? The poems eventually extended beyond this little obscure town, and now she is considered one of the most important American poets. And we all know and love her poetry. Julie, 
loves her poetry and especially a certain type of poetry that she writes. Isn't that true? And Julie's going to read some of her poetry. So talk to us, Julie. Yes, um, thank you for having me, Agatha. So pleased to be back with you today. We're going to read a sampling of Emily Dickinson's poetry. She wrote on many different topics. She's, of course, well known for a lot of her nature poems and her nature imagery, so we'll definitely read some of those, as well as some works about love and faith and just life in general. And we hope that you all enjoy them and that it helps you discover the poet a little bit better and bring her into your own life. Oh, wonderful. Okay, what's the first poem? It is Nature, the Gentlest Mother. Nature, the gentlest mother, impatient of no child, the feeblest or the waywardest, her admonition mild in forest and the hill by traveler is heard, restraining rampant squirrel or too impetuous bird. How fair her conversation, a summer afternoon, her household, her assembly, and when the sun goes down, her voice among the aisles incites the timid prayer of the minutest cricket, the most unworthy flower. When all the children sleep, she turns as long away as will suffice to light her lamps. Then, bending from the sky, with infinite affection and infiniter care, her golden finger on her lip wills silence everywhere. Oh, I want her to be my mother too, nature. It's uh, the, the poem is a little bit like a, a lullaby, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is very much a lullaby. Yes. Very, very sweet. Very soothing. Mm, mm. And I love that line, the timid prayer of the minutest cricket and the use of the teas, I think, yeah. just <laughs> emphasizes the tininess yes. of the, the insect. So that's a fun one. Our next poem I think many of our listeners will recognize it's one of her most famous poems, I'm Nobody. I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? And there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'd banish us, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public, like a frog to tell your name the live long day to an admiring bog. <laughs> I love how playful oh, that poem is. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the big and that question, that, that excitement of uh, finding some nobody just like yourself. I do love that poem. Yes, yes. You know, at the Peabody Essex Museum, they have a uh, a sculpture. It's a little man. And it's called Mr. Nobody. And I do love Mr. Nobody because he always reminds me of that poem. Excellent. <laughs> Our next poem is a winter theme, which we thought would be appropriate. Mm. And it is called Snowflakes. I counted 
till they danced so their slippers leaped the town. And then I took a pencil to note the rebels down. And then they grew so jolly I did resign the prig. And ten of my once stately toes are marshaled for a jig. <laughs> I like how in this poem we see the author or the, the narrator of the poem watching these snowflakes likely out a window. Yes. And how they influence her to feel just the way that they look. You know, she sees them becoming jolly and it invites her to want to dance. That's exactly right. Yes. Mm -hmm. She is she's so playful in so many of her poems. I really like that. And just this real energy that she has. And oftentimes, you know, you see that portrait of her and it's so well, all the portraits of that time were so serious. And you think, did they ever smile? And you know they did when you read her poetry, mm -hmm. absolutely. And you do wonder about societal conventions sometimes because here you have this language of, you know, almost militaristic language where she's talking about the snowflakes as rebels and how mm -hmm. at the end her toes are marshaled for a jig. <laughs> so we see her letting go a little, which is A fun. little bit, yes. <laughs> okay, what you got for us next? We have Wild Nights. Oh, okay. How are you <laughs> going to read this one? Wild Nights. Wild Nights. Were I with thee? Wild Nights should be our luxury. Futile the winds to a heart in port. Done with the compass. Done with the chart. Rowing in Eden. Ah, the sea. Might I but more tonight in thee. <laughs> Emily. Such an ecstatic poem. Oh, and there's, it really is, yes. It's, it's fun looking at the punctuation because... Even in just the first stanza, we have three exclamation points and then one, two, three, four in the last one. Mm. So yes. you can feel that excitement and longing. That's right. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And rowing in Eden. That's a great place to be. <laughs> Beautiful uh, imagery. Yes, yes. Absolutely. And she's so economical. She does so much with just a That's few right. lines. Yes. Yeah. She is economical. Yeah. I think she was thrifty also in her in her household. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> Emily. <laughs> Our next one is I started early, took my dog. Mm. I started early, took my dog, and visited the sea. The mermaids in the basement came out to look at me. And frigates in the upper floor extended hempen hands, presuming me to be a mouse aground upon the sands. But no man moved me till the tide went past my simple shoe, and past my apron, and my belt, and past my bodice too, and made as he would eat me up, as holy as a dew upon a dandelion sleeve. And then I started too. And he, 
he followed close behind. I felt his silver heel upon my ankle. Then my shoes would overflow with pearl. Until we met the solid town, no man he seemed to know. And bowing with a mighty look at me, the sea withdrew. I find she has so many different tones of voice. At least that's what I find when I'm reading these. She's playful, longing, witty, worldly wise. Yes. It's a great variety. She is. Okay, read more, read more. (laughs) Well, I know this is one of yours. This is Fame as a Bee. This one. Speaking of her economy, this one only has one, two, three, four lines. Four lines. Fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. Ah, too. It has a wing. (laughs) That's so funny. I love this poem. I love it so much. I'm going to read it. Please do. Not at all. I'd be delighted. Fame is a bee. That's the title. Only because I like to say it twice. Fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. Ah, too. It has a wing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm curious about your opinion. It has a wing. What do you make of that? Do you see that as primarily a positive or a negative, the wing? Because I think you can read it either way, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you could ring it as you could read it as something fleeting, like fame yes, that's right. disappears. Fickle. Yeah, it's quite fickle as well as fleeting, mm-hmm. yes. And you could also see it as giving you wings too. So I like that it's mm, sort of ambiguous. Mm. Well, interesting because she says that first when she says it has a song. Mm-hmm which is the positive side, and it has a sting, which is a bit, yeah, mm-hmm. is this always such a good thing? And then she reminds us, again, it has a wing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I imagine that as she had some of her poems published, she might have experienced some of that herself. Yes. Our next poem is Afraid. Afraid? Of whom am I afraid? Not death. For who is he? The porter of my father's lodge as much abasheth me. Of life? T'were odd I fear a thing that comprehendeth me in one or more existences at deity's decree. Of resurrection? Is the East afraid to trust the morn with her fastidious forehead? As soon impeach my crown. I like thinking of that as a very triumphant poem. Uh, Playful and triumphant. She's so confident and secure. It's a a fun one. Well, I was going to call it mysterious, puzzling, dark, and obscure myself. (laughs) She is all things to all listeners, right? Our next poem is another love poem called I Envy Seas Whereon He Rides. I envy seas whereon he rides. 
I envy spokes of wheels of chariots that him convey. I envy speechless hills that gaze upon his journey. How easy all can see what is forbidden utterly as heaven unto me. I envy nests of sparrows that dot his distant eaves. The wealthy fly upon his pain. The happy, happy leaves that just abroad his window have summer's leave to be. The earrings of Pizarro could not obtain for me. I envy light that wakes him, and bells that boldly ring to tell him it is noon abroad, myself his noon could bring. It interdict my blossom, and abrogate my bee, lest noon in everlasting night drop Gabriel and me. Talk about longing. So wistful. Yes. I always think when I read this line, how easy all can see what is forbidden utterly as heaven unto me. This section and the way that the poem is written reminds me so much of a speech of Romeo's in Romeo and Juliet, where he has been, it has been decreed that he must be banished. And he has this speech where he's talking about how it is, banishment is death and how every unworthy thing, you know, little little mice may look on Juliet, but he may not. Oh. And I find so much of that mm, in this beautiful poem. Mm, mm. Nice. We return to another nature poem. The grass so little has to do. <laughs> the grass so little has to do. A sphere of simple green. With only butterflies to brood and bees to entertain, and stir all day to pretty tunes the breezes fetch along, and hold the sunshine in its lap, and bow to everything, and thread the dews all night like pearls, and make itself so fine. A duchess were too common for such a noticing. And even when it dies, to pass in odors so divine, as lowly spices gone to sleep, or amulets of pine. And then to dwell in sovereign barns and dream the days away. The grass so little has to do. I wish I were a hay. We can see she uses bees so often in so many of her poems, references to bees. But as a consummate gardener, she was surrounded surrounded by them. them. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they are so vital in a garden. They really, really are. And and really quite friendly, believe it or not. (laughs) They're crucial. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. And it shows how much a poet can use what's around them mm, to create right. yes. their poetry and inspire their creativity. Our last poem for our reading is another stalwart favorite. Hope uh, is the thing with feathers. Okay, say that again without me moaning. I love this poem. <laughs> Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul 
He sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard. And sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea. Yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. And that is why Emily Dickinson is one of our best beloved poets. Yes. <laughs> Happy birthday, Emily Dickinson. Thank you so much for giving so much of you. Julie, thank you for reading these. I, I really appreciate that too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to read her beautiful words. Thanks for listening. Stop by again. <laughs>